Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff, Episode 3, getting you ready for Penn's Avalanche, the start of the stretch run, the final 33 games of the season. I'm Chris Mack. Evan Rawl of Colorado Hockey Now on the way in just a couple minutes. Thanks to Eric Tangrady for joining as he does a couple times a week. Pleased to be joined now by Seth Rohrbaugh, who, as you can hear if you're listening, is at the UPMC Lemieux Complex in Cranberry after the Penguins' practice uh and a pretty long practice Seth right like they scrimmaged a little bit at the end there I thought I saw yeah there were like two sessions it, it was almost a little bit similar like a like a training camp practice uh you know where it goes on and, you know they actually had like a intermission if you will where you know the Zambonis came out and cleaned the ice a bit so uh and then they worked on some like five on five stuff and power play stuff in the second half the first half was a little bit more skill oriented you know just like little drills run with balls and obstacles on the ice and things like that so it was a lengthy practice you know and, and understandably so given the lengthy break they've had here so um but uh, no it looks like they're, they're trying to tune themselves up here uh for you know at least at the very least you know colorado on tuesday yeah i mean way to break into the final third or you know half of the season uh you get the reigning stanley cup champs um did it feel like there was a little more intensity to it do you get that sense uh, with this team as they come back from the break that maybe they understand the position they're in and the need to get off the Eastern Conference bubble? I think a better way to maybe explain it would be maybe a little bit more clarity or maybe just a little bit of a fresh air. Um, you know, they, I think, you know, one player I talked to today, I think it was Jeff Petrie said, yeah, this break came at the right time for them. They were, you know, scuttling a little bit there towards the end there going into the break. You know, obviously that loss to San Jose was just ugly. Um, I, I think for them, it just gives them a reset point. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure they're any more intense or anything like that. Uh, uh, maybe just a little bit more focused on what they need to do and, and things like that and how to execute their system, play within the confines, color within the line, whatever cliche you want to use. Um, I, I think they really needed the break. You know, obviously, you know, there's some physical benefits. Guys, the injured guys like Casper Cap and Josh Archibald get a little bit healthy, but I think for, for the bulk of the group here, just getting a mental break here for a week or so, um, can do some good for them. They certainly seem to have a, a more upbeat attitude than they had maybe as they lurched into the break. You know, as we've talked about it over the last week or so, uh, Eric Tangrady and I talked to Jesse Marshall last week. Um, I, I get the sense from a lot of people that they're willing to grant Ron Hextall this next week or so coming out of the break, Colorado, and then the three games out West as sort of a, hey, let's see if the boys can get it together in the next four games. And if they can't, you really need to step on the gas then. Um, do you get the sense, especially after Ron Hextall spoke yesterday, that he would be willing to, quote-unquote, step on the gas in trade deadline pursuit 
if they fall flat out west, especially? I don't get the sense of anything Ron Hextall says, uh, and that's <laughs> been kind of the, the status quo for him the past you know three three years here. I mean, he uh, uh, he oftentimes just just doesn't say a lot of uh, with you know things that have substance as far as how he wants to you know manage his roster and things like that. At least you know before trades and things like that. So. Um, you know, two years ago, he said, yeah, I like my roster. We like our depth. And like Jeff Carter showed up at two in the morning uh, last year. You know, oh, we like our roster. We like the roster. And then like a little bit after 3 p.m. on the trade deadline day, you know, Ricard Raquel came over. So um, whatever he has planned, whatever he's working on, he's not going to tell us. He's not going to broadcast it openly. Um, that's not to say something's imminent. Um, I'm willing to bet he's doing all his due diligence, you know, calling every GM that might be a trade partner looking anyone you know, even if it's something minor like a, like a 13th forward or something like that he's going to do his due diligence so um I, I think the biggest obstacle for him as well as just about most teams in the nhl probably over two-thirds of the league right now is just not a lot of salary cap space right now to work with i think right now with some guys even on ltr or ltir right now the penguins have like 1.3 or something like that in, in the cap space so that's just not going to be there when presumably everyone's healthy. That's, you know, not everyone's healthy to be sure, but um, you know, there's just not a lot of cap space. That's, and I think that's why we haven't seen many trades league wide. I know the Islanders had the one big trade earlier last week, but um, before that, the biggest trade around the league was Ryan Reeves going to Minnesota when it was basically a trade request. So um, you know, there's still some lingering effects here with the pandemic that I think are dictating not just what the Penguins are doing, but the vast majority of the league right now. And, um, I just don't know how active this trade market is going to be league-wide, not just with the Penguins, uh, but league-wide uh, as March 3rd approaches. Well, and you mentioned the the cap is the biggest part of this, but Ron Hextall was asked yesterday, point blank, would you consider moving out uh, that first-round pick in order for someone to take some salary off your hands? And the direct quote was, I would say that's not on the table. I don't see it as being an option for us. Um, I guess my question to you is, if Seth Rohrbaugh were the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, understandably, It'd be terrible. For, some, <laughs> for some reason you're not. I don't I haven't figured that out yet. But no, I mean, w- would you be willing to put that first pick on the table? Because I think when you commit to when you commit to keeping Crosby, Malkin, Latang in the fold, when you re-sign uh, Gensel and Rust, uh, when you when you bring as much of the team back as they did, and especially the core pieces, when you re-sign. Uh, Ricard Raquel to a lengthy extension. You're saying we're here to compete now uh, rather than later. Um, should that first pick be on the table? I- is it in fact not, or is Ron Hextall just playing poker here? Well, as far as what Ron Hextall is going to do, I mean, that's that's kind of been standard operating procedure for him ever since he got here. I mean, he's kind of said, you know, we just aren't you know inclined to give away future assets uh, too often. And, you know, they did it a couple of times with Jeff Carter. I think that it was like a second and a third or, or a fourth or something like that that went there. And Ricardo Raquel, you know, so they gave up a, you know, a fairly decent prospect in Kelly Klang there. But um, for the most part, Ron Hextall has been loath uh, to deal away any future assets. And, you know, and for good reason. The, the pool's very shallow in terms of their future, their prospect pool right now. So, and hey, Jim Rutherford had, you know, did that on purpose. And, you know, it's a good results for the most part with two Stanley Cup titles there. But um, as far as what I would do, I mean, I, I just don't see how you make this team better in the immediate future without leaving open that possibility. Um, you know, obviously, the teams that have the salary cap space, you know, teams like Arizona, and Chicago, et cetera, those, those are teams that are rebuilding. Those are teams that would want you know, a future asset, whether it's a first-round pick or someone already in, in the organization. So um, 
but as far as uh, him saying uh, that's off the table, I, I'm not terribly surprised by that because that's just how he's operated here for the first three years of his tenure with the team. Um, that's been his approach. Uh, he kind of has a, you know, has to answer to two masters there in terms of keeping the team competitive now, but also you know maintaining or building up what's a pretty shallow prospect pool. So it's it's a tough task, but um, what he said, I, I wasn't terribly surprised by. It. So I, I heard this postulated yesterday once it was announced that Hextall was going to be speaking yesterday afternoon. Um, a lot of people worrying about just how long Tristan Jari may be out and how serious his in, upper body injury may be. I know he's been on the ice the past couple of days and was apparently rehabbing and working out during the break as well. But is there a chance that they look at adding another goaltender to the mix? Uh, perhaps a hockey trade, Casey DeSmith out, someone else in. Uh, Hextall didn't seem entirely elated with Casey DeSmith's work to this point in the year. The numbers haven't been great either. Is that something we could see happen in your opinion? I'd be surprised if it did. Um, I asked Ron Hexel, you know, point blank, just, you know, how do you assess your goaltending this year? And he, he kind of softened the answer for both of them saying uh, that their play has been affected by the team's overall play. And that's, that's not to say that's not valid, but um, I also think it's, it's fair to say of the two of them, Casey Smith probably hasn't lived up to whatever the expectations are of him. So um, at the same time too, you know, I, I, you know, there's some metrics out there that show you their defense whenever he's in for whatever reason, just isn't nearly as stout. So mm-hmm. um, they definitely can improve there, at least in terms of, you know, if you want to find someone better than Casey to Smith, but I, I think that would almost uh, prevent you from maybe addressing other areas. And the most notably maybe a bottom six forward, a third liner or what have you. So um they seem willing to write it out here with Casey to Smith. I don't know necessarily that uh, they're looking for any other teams, you know, backup goaltender or a third goaltender or what have you. Um, I just think, you know, with their limited resources, i.e. cap space, I, I, I think they focus more on trying to bring in someone to, to fortify their bottom six uh, well before, you know, any, any other situations go, barring any other further injuries uh, to either player there. Do you get the sense that they'll give Kapanen and Archibald? He, he seems very high on... Josh Archibald, I heard his name mentioned three or four times during yesterday's press conference, that they'll give those guys the opportunity to plug into the lineup over the next week or so and perhaps prove that they don't need to chase that bottom six talent? Or do you get the sense that Hextall understands they need to chase that bottom six maneuver anyway? Uh, as far as Josh Archibald, I, he's not their most valuable player by any stretch of the imagination, but he's probably the most unique player just given that he's the only guy that really hits consistently. Uh, agitates consistently, just just plays with an edge consistently. I mean, Jason Zucker does to a certain extent, but uh, not necessarily always at the expense of you know his offensive abilities. Um, and Josh Archibald's their only guy like him on their roster. Uh, and really, I mean, a lot of you know their problems with their bottom six have really been amplified ever since he left the lineup. I think on December 18th, I think is when he last played his most recent game. So, um, again, not their most valuable player, but their most unique, and they, they just don't have another one like him. Uh, and you know, you, you look at the numbers. He led the team in hits, I think, uh, when he before he left the lineup. He also led the team in drawn penalties before he left the lineup. And you know, by the way, he did it with only maybe like ten minutes of ice time per game, lowest among their you know top twelve forwards. However, you wanted to find that. So, um, again, he's a guy that's a contributor. Um, he's not going to you know break any offensive records or anything like that. But he could chip in a few goals here and there. And, um, again, I think you know you can see him make a subtle difference. Not he's not going to make or break their roster, but he, he can make some subtle differences. Uh, with various contributions on this lineup uh, whenever he's healthy and available. As far as Kasperi Kapanen goes, I I just think they're just going to, you know, keep putting him out there and you know, giving him every, every, every chance to fail. He's taken up a lot of those chances. 
Uh, but uh, even if it's just sporadic, I mean, you do get occasional goals from him. He had that hat trick game, uh, I think, back in late November, early December. Um, you do get some things there. I mean, he's you know he's on the second power play unit, so and also they have a you know a decent cap hit invested in three point two million. So um, they're going to give him every opportunity to, to pass or fail here. Uh, I'm probably leaning towards fail, just given his you know history here over the past two seasons. But um, I just don't see them having very, very many other options as far as who to turn to, at least on their NHL roster, independent of anyone they might have in Wilkes-Barre right now. And obviously, the cap kind of plays a major role in even minor transactions you know, with your AHL affiliate right now. This might seem like a stupid question, but if they could go back to the summer and do it over, do you think they would take Evan Rodriguez on one year at two mil as he signed for in Colorado over either Carter or Kapanen? I think so. I mean, that's you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you know, Evan Rodriguez is you know, a much more productive player, a much more uh, uh, resourceful player in terms of just being able to contribute in other areas. I mean, he plays all three forward positions, uh, and is a fairly competent faceoff guy, uh, PK, power play, etc. Um, I, I think at that point, though, um, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think they just kind of resigned the fact that Evan Rodriguez is probably going to be out of their price range. And um, as it turned out, again, with a, with a low cap, with a limited, you know, salary cap or a flat cap here for the most part, uh, Evan Rodriguez had trouble finding work and ended up having to take kind of like a one-year, I don't know the number, but it was a fairly low contract for a guy who produced, you know, a fairly good clip, at least in the first half of last season. So, um, yeah, if they had known that Evan Rodriguez wouldn't necessarily command what he only got in the open market uh, and ended up signing for in you know, August, late in the late in the, the off season. Yeah, they probably would have like a redo on that one. But um, at that moment, I think everyone was just kind of resigned to the fact of the idea that Evan Rodriguez was probably going to be out of the side of their price range. You know, would likely command a, a pretty healthy, healthy cap hit. I've heard people ask the question uh, about Mike Sullivan, and Brian Burke was not a fan of that question when he was asked about Mike Sullivan's level of culpability. Uh, in how this team has played or more accurately not played for the inconsistent stretches of this season. He's been asked as well, and he's he's openly admitted, I got to be better. I got to do more to get these guys to play the way I want them to. Is there a sense at all that because this the core of this team has been together so long that his message is wearing off in any way that it is growing stale? I don't think so. I mean, I, I've been around this team, you know, not the to- you know, pat myself on the back, but I, you know, I've been around this team long enough to see when a coach does lose his message. I, I remember you know, fairly late in Dan Bowsman's tenure here where players would openly just refuse to go to meetings uh, sometimes. Uh, wow. and, and, you know, to me, that was, you know, a pretty clear indication that Dan Bowsman's message, uh, you know, was lost. Uh, I don't know if Mike Johnson was ever here even long enough to, to, to go through that, but um, I haven't seen anything remotely close to that uh, here with Mike Sullivan. The big three and you know all the key supplemental parts, you know Brian Russ, Jake Gensel, etc. Uh, they're all still bought in. And again, hey, maybe there's just some natural you know tendencies to kind of tune things out here or there a little bit. But um, I haven't seen you know much evidence that it's anything substantial or prolonged where um, they're tuning him out or just ignore him or ignoring him or anything like that. Um, and, and hey, you know over the course of 82 games, you know. We have to find ways to maybe kind of you know redo that message or deliver it a different way but uh no i for, i think for the most part everyone here uh the key pieces at least are all still bought in and still fairly attuned to what mike sullivan has to say and um yeah the execution obviously needs to be a little bit better and you know, you know that san jose game was a perfect example of that but um no i i, I don't see any way shape or form where mike sullivan's uh doesn't necessarily have the 
uh, the command of everyone here, at least the important players here. Seth, before I let you run, um, you you mentioned it, but it's true. It's not a pat on the back of yourself. You've been covering this team for a long time since we were both much younger versions of ourselves. <laughs> um, and You're the I'm first just, one that had me on the radio uh, way back when. Well, you're older, former players. So golf clap for me. Look at that. Uh, I saw the greatness in you. Um, But like, I'm just because I I I do want to ask people this when I get the chance to, and I have you. So for for those that have just known Seth Rohrbaugh as a byline over the last what 20 years now, almost 15, 20 years. What led to you getting into it? I remember you starting the Empty Netters blog and thinking what a cool thing it was. Somebody would sit there and break down basically in the same way I would look at it, everything that happened in the NHL the night before, um, including making jokes about the funny stuff, sharing clips and highlights, which back then I can't imagine how much work went into it because the league wasn't <laughs> providing them. You were going – YouTube was, was in its infancy then. Uh, and, and what's kept you coming back? despite the fact that we all know what the media business is like and what the journalism, sports journalism business is like. Um, I just don't want a real job. I think that's <laughs> probably the best way to... You want I, don't club. I don't think I'm qualified for a lot of real jobs. Uh, I, I, you know, at one point in time, I think I applied for a part-time groundskeeping job at Flight 93 Memorial up in Shanksville. And I was told I did not have the necessary education to, be, to cut grass or shovel snow. So, <laughs> um, literally, I, I got back a form letter from the federal government telling me that, so... Uh, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessed life, even if, you know, you know, you have a lot of inconveniences and there's just a lot of tough economic realities with every media job right now, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a blessed life. I live a comfortable life. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I see a lot of colleagues, you know, necessarily, you know, dealing with all of those tough realities right now, but, um, no, I just, um, it's, it's, it's a great job. It's a dream job in a lot of ways. And, um, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that I might not always be, be able to, you know, concluded on my on my own terms, but uh, why I can I'm just going to enjoy it and do everything I can to keep it. Well, keep up the great work, my friend. I love catching up with you, um, and uh, you're always invited back whenever you feel like it, especially if you can find uh, a noisier environment. I'm just going to um, avoid about- these long practices up here in Cranberry. That's all. Tell Mike Sullivan to pick up the pace next time with the post skate availability so we can get you on. Uh, Thanks again, Seth. It was great to catch up with you, man. I'll talk to you soon. I'll probably see you at the morning skate here in the next day or two. Sounds good, Chris. Be well, man.